What is up, everybody? Welcome to Talking Wellness, presented by South Florida Wellness Network. My name is Christian. It's your boy, Michael. How are we doing? And I'm Brian Sims. Yeah. So <laughs> today we have a great episode for you guys. We're calling this our Veterans Day special. You know, Kayla's not here, so we were like, all right, the boys are going to take over. <laughs> yes, sir. It's a boys' day. It's a boys' day. That's that's what happens when Kayla leaves. But, but we miss you, Kayla. Let's we, just yeah. be real. Just a little bit. I mean, <laughs> sure. The point is, we are super excited to have you here today for this very special episode because there are a lot of topics that we really want to get into. You know, especially I feel, for at least in my family, you know, I have a veteran in my family and and, and I, I love him so much. And, and one of the things that I've always thought about is like, okay, so what are, how can we best support veterans right the, the holiday is coming up right and we're gonna go off and do our, our day off but i think that it's important to have a conversation about you know what the day is really about celebrating sure. the people who have fought for us you know for sure for sure i think um like you said it's super important and how we want to start the show off is you know obviously letting you have an opportunity to introduce yourself um let us know where you come from how you how um being a veteran has affected your life and the work that you do today in order to help veterans yeah um thank you guys for having me on here um i just want to say you know south florida wellness network is very dear to my heart um susan nyamora i consider her both a friend and a mentor she has helped me as a leader most especially get through some really difficult times this past year uh which we may or may not have the chance to get into but regardless um this studio is awesome. I, I love that you guys are doing this. Kayla, I do miss you. Go have fun yeah, in Chicago we, with we everyone. We miss you. <laughs> okay, we miss you. Know? you. Uh, but my name is Brian Sims. Uh, I'm a U.S. Army infantry veteran in long-term recovery. And, and what that means for me is I no longer utilize alcohol, drugs, or attempt to take my own life to solve the barriers that life may throw at me awesome. these days. Uh, I'm also a certified peer specialist here in the uh, state of Florida. I have a Dash V that indicates veteran. Uh, I am also, this is a long one, a veteran-supported recovery professional peer for the state of New York. Uh, the state of Sweet. Florida and the state of New York are the only two states that like truly have their own veterans designations and programs and such. Uh, so between our two states also gives me a little bit of reciprocity with other places awesome. because I am the national director of Project Rebirth. Uh, Project Rebirth is the nation's first warrior recovery community organization. So our focus of services is towards veterans, emergency responders, and their loved ones. And we say loved ones because there are plenty of individuals in that warrior class. We use that as a colloquial term um, that may not be legally partnered with someone or a stepchild, let's say, that maybe is not legally adopted. And therefore, certain benefits, insurances, things like that may not cross over, um, <clears throat> which is why we started Project Rebirth. Uh, RCOs, we have some very unique capabilities, um, and every RCO obviously is a little bit different uh, between the things that we do um, and then geographically, like what services may be available locally. Uh, but I think what a lot of what we're going to talk about today uh, is really where the crux, or I should say like the bread and butter of what Project Rebirth is as an RCO, a national RCO, is we provide training and technical assistance to our RCO affiliates that are running Project Rebirth programs, for instance, South Florida Wellness Network, um, <clears throat> and the understanding to those uh, peer specialists as well as other community mental health workers that while the general civilian population we may work with, whether that's adult, family, youth, justice involved, 
you have to think about the local resources, and that is important. Mm -hmm. That's what we're working with, right? But when you're Mm -hmm. dealing with the veteran population or even the emergency responder population, we have national resources, most specifically like the VA, right, Mm -hmm. which extends beyond the borders and and different uh, organizations extend beyond the borders of, like, let's say Broward County, right? And those are the organizations that we really need uh, our peer specialists that, that are helping to navigate uh, different individuals in recovery inside of these professions um, to the resources that they need. For sure, for sure. So going into it a little bit, how, how, how would you say that this upcoming holiday, you know, Veterans Day, it's, it's something we do it every year. Well, how, how does that make you feel as, as a veteran? Like what, what is your response to being celebrated, quote unquote, on this specific when is it? This Friday is it, or is this Saturday? Saturday? Yeah, Saturday. So, what what are your thoughts and feelings about that? Uh, well, first, I got to shout out all my Marine Corps homies, guys and gals. Um, they are my favorite branch that I love to hate because we always mess with each other. <laughs> uh, any of any Marine Corps, or actually any veteran, really, uh, will know that uh, we all love our crayon eaters. They'll get that joke. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> But, uh, yeah, so Veterans Day, I think it's important to start off saying this. So so Veterans Day is about honoring those who served who are still with us, Yeah. while Memorial Day is honoring those who are no longer yeah. with us. Oh, right? wow. that's I've never even had anyone ever distinguish that point. Mm-hmm. And that makes plenty of sense. Wow. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, that that is one of the things, especially for those of us uh, in the what we call GWAT, right, which is Global War on Terror. So the post 9-11 generation uh, of which that is my period of conflict. Um, We have lost so many brothers and sisters, not just in places like Iraq, Afghanistan. And and you also need to keep in mind, there's a lot of operations that have continued to happen uh, in the Pacific region as well as Africa that are Mm -hmm. part of the global war on terror, okay? Um, But we've lost so many of our brothers and sisters during those conflicts, but even more importantly, those deaths have been surpassed by individuals who have taken their own lives uh, or have died from overdose and and other related things of of issues with transitioning from service, which is, the I think, the hallmark thing that all of us are dealing with, uh, especially the post-9-11 generation, is the transition from being at the top of your game, right? I mean, everyone that's in the military, for the most part, is at the top of their game. And then you come back to a civilian life where, remember, they spend millions of dollars institutionalizing us, right? Because that's yeah. what it is. I mean, they've we've been doing the military in, in an organized sense since, like, Mesopotamian times, right? So these are thousands of years to perfect how to literally break down someone from a civilian mindset and institutionalize them into this new one and and then you do all these other things that are reinforced from those experiences battles even if you weren't in battle you know being in combat uh whether you're you're kicking a door like stuff we do in the infantry or you're you're someone who takes care of making sure we get our paychecks or you're cooking us our meals or fixing our humvees or helicopters or flying planes doesn't make a difference um overall uh, it that does not affect whether or not you are a veteran. If you swore an oath, I don't care how long you served, what branch you served in. You could even be in the Space Force. Let's not forget they <laughs> they are a real Force. thing, uh, and they are are, are truly vital, uh, especially yeah. to today's operations. Hmm. But um, I don't care where you went, how long you did. I don't care 
you know, your gender, ethnicity, your sexual orientation. We don't care about that in the military, at least not anymore, because let's be real. It did yeah. not used to be like that. Yeah, right. Of course. And when I was in it, was we still had don't ask, don't tell the women were not allowed in direct action, combat roles, things like that. Um, so we've progressed on that side. But uh, none of that makes a difference. Um, <clears throat> in the status of you being a veteran if you swore yeah. that oath uh you are a veteran and i believe uh, as as national director of project rebirth we will serve you including individuals who have dishonorable discharges that doesn't mean that we're going to be able to do a lot of things for you because there, that is a hard thing to navigate around mm -hmm. but we will not turn you away okay. at all awesome so i, I kind of want to get into that a little bit you obviously I'm coming at this from a perspective of literally knowing nothing about the military, mm -hmm. right? Which is, um, I think, something that I'm not exactly happy about because I do, you know, we, we constantly talk about veterans being such a crucial part about our society. You know, they defend us, they protect us, but half of us know almost nothing about it, you know? Yeah. And moreover, all we really get to know is what they show in, like, TV shows and movies, right? For example, now that we're talking about this, my mind immediately goes to shows like The Punisher or, like, movies like American Sniper, right? Jarhead. Where, right, Jarhead, <laughs> where, like, they have these these yep. stories of, like— Oftentimes realistic, oftentimes overgeneralized and very dramaticized, um, dramaticized yeah. war, war events and stuff like that. So, you know, and I've never had the opportunity, so I don't want to miss this opportunity to ask a veteran this. Okay. What are your thoughts on the way Hollywood TV movies portray war? Wow, that's, that's a heavy question. Um, I will say... Uh, Whenever I'm giving you any of this information or any of my opinions, I want to make make it clear that these are my opinions, yeah. but they are most likely going to be an opinion based out of my experience and a collective experience shared with my brothers and sisters, right? right. So that being said, you will find uh, if you have a veteran family member or friend, if you get, let's say you put on like Lone Survivor, right? right? Which I know Marcus Luttrell. I've, I've gotten to speak with him many times. We've done different like, you know, dinner events and all this type of stuff. Awesome guy, by the way. Yeah. Um, an amazing story. Um, and he says all the time how, like, the way that that movie was done, like, three-quarters of it was accurate. The ending was not. That's not how it happened. Okay. Right? It was a very extended firefight. It took a lot of, you know, it, it wasn't like that. But he understood why they needed it. It's a Hollywood film. Yeah. It had to yeah. happen like that, right? That type of thing. Um, so the point being is if you if you got a family member or friend who's a veteran and you put on one of those movies, what you're going to find is we're going to pick that movie apart. <laughs> that uniform isn't right. You should that badge isn't in the right place. The flag is on the wrong shoulder. We wouldn't say that. That's not how you say that acronym, right? What's like, the most realistic movie you've ever seen? That is that depicts situations obviously that you may have been in or maybe previous. Well, yeah. I, I will say this. So uh, the movie Lone Survivor, though, like the the true portion where they where they're actually in battle against each other and their friends dying and such, those seals yeah. um, that died in in that operation, that is very realistic. I was, I mean, thinking about it right now, like I feel tension in my chest thinking about like when Matt and like Deets and all these guys, like when they got shot, I was like, that is what it looks like. Yeah. That that is accurate, it's very yeah. accurate. I remember watching Lone Survivor and it being. It, it, I, I was sitting actually with my family, and it, we were watching it. It's like 
It was a, it was a tough movie to get through. That's but... the Mark Wahlberg one? Yes, Mark, yeah, yeah, Mark yeah, Wahlberg. Okay. Yeah. He, he plays Marcus Luttrell. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, and actually, Marcus Luttrell's in the movie. In the beginning of the movie, uh, they're kind of all hanging out like on their fob, their forward operating base. And Marcus like sits down and is messing with the new guy. So he's playing a different really? character, but that is Marcus Luttrell. I did not in know the that movie yeah. at all. Yeah. That's awesome. You That's always love cool. that when they add. That, you always love when they add those little bits in movies. Yeah, Marvel's really good about that. Stanley always jumps oh. in his movies, but, but we're getting off topic. No, 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 no. <laughs> Actually, we're not. I, I am going to digress for a second. No, go ahead. I promise you, you guys got to steer me back on. I promise. So I am a huge Marvel nerd. Yes, like so way beyond. Okay. So <laughs> yes. But here's your test, because I guarantee you, I'm more nerded out than you. Bet. Do you know what Project Rebirth is? Project Rebirth in the movie is the project that turns uh, Captain America into the super soldier. Goddamn right. Boom. Uh, so, uh, these guys that are really right. fans. That is okay. the reason why we are Project Rebirth. Awesome. I love why. that. Awesome. Uh, Captain yeah. America over here. Okay. Funny yeah. enough, and again, a little bit off topic, but a little bit on topic. Yeah. I kid you not, my favorite character in the movies is has always been Chris Evans, Captain America. Yeah. I, I adore is it the like first his role as Captain America or like the actor himself? What, no, no, no. What what he means? What he stands for? It's like okay. what he stands for. He's like always protecting the little guy. Yeah. My favorite scene in that first movie is when they throw the dummy grenade, and he then he just it. jumps he on it. It's yeah. like I, I don't care if I die. I'm and, gonna he, and he was like a skinny dude at the time, right? Tiny yeah, that was, yeah. He was yeah. underweight. Yeah. He was too short. Yeah. You know. You know. And I guess that's that's part of the reason why I have a. And it, at, at, admittedly, it comes from a point of like you know being uh, uh, fantasizing. You know, uh, I have this idea of a of a military guy as a superhero, right? But I'm not gonna lie. I, since I grew up with that, I've, that's why I've always had a little softer side for for military personnel and veterans because I grew up watching sure. Captain America, yeah. such a such an important character that you know his values were always to protect and to serve no matter what and that's something that i've always connected with veterans that's why i'm so happy to, that you're here to talk about in this episode because i've always seen even though yeah in the past you know you can have your certain agreements or disagreements with certain things overall i really am thankful and i'm really am appreciative of the work that you guys do you know because you guys do the work that most of us are either too afraid or are not willing to do you know yeah and it's like and I think part of the reason why I, I'm starting to look at Veterans Day a little bit differently is because I'm starting to understand what happens afterwards. It's a lot of the times for a lot of people the hardest part, you know? And I, I don't I, – I, that's why I really want to open up this conversation into what happens after. Yeah, let's, let's get into that portion. Um, one of the big issues that Project Rebirth is involved with at a national level is something known as moral injury. Have you ever heard this term before? No. no. Okay. <clears throat> Mostly the reason why you've never heard it is because it is not in the DSM, right? It's not a diagnosable illness, right? We'll just use that as the term. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we are partnered with Boston University and some of the professors and scientists that are over there where we utilize uh, a moral injury symptom scale. Uh, there's a 10 question and 30 question one um, to co start collecting data on this stuff so we can get it as an actual diagnosis and then also create treatment modalities around it. So the question is, what is it? Essentially, uh, I think the best way for me to describe it is to utilize a situation, I'll put you in a situation. Yep. So uh, you're deployed, you're in Afghanistan. Um, you've been sitting up on top of a mountain and you've been doing what we call overwatch. You're watching a village, 
like you and, and your team, right? And you're watching that village because you know that there is an IED bomb maker guy that, that uh, comes in and out of that village. Maybe that's where his workshop is, right? So you're sitting there, you've got your you know binoculars, and we've got really cool visual equipment, right? Thermal yeah. and all that yeah. stuff. And you're watching it, and you see him enter the village. So you call it up to your command. Yep, the target has hit the village. They tell you stand by, and then they come back with an order to, let's say, what is they call it? Paint the target, right? Like use a laser designator. Um, <clears throat> now, you've been sitting there watching this village. And in that time, remember, it's a village of people, of civilians. <laughs> now, there may be some Taliban or, or let's say, al-Qaeda fighters or yeah. something like that, that that are in and out of this village because that's how it is. That's the reality of war, right, is, is, is innocent civilian people just trying to live their lives alongside other people who are you know, look at the what's enemy going on. Combatants. Look at what's going on right now. Exactly. Um, so you're watching women, uh, you know, nurse their babies and and make dinner, make make naan and and serve it to people. And you're watching kids, you know, kick around a soccer ball and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, and then all of a sudden, the the radio, you know, pops off, and you you hear uh, like on the channel that uh, so you guys are gonna pull back because they're gonna drop. A missile on top of that village because they got to take this guy out mm -hmm. and maybe your captain comes back on the radio and says no negative we we don't we can go in and we can snatch them right and instead of doing that they override that order and they drop that missile on it and you watch that happen right the fact that what just happened in that situation goes against your internal moral compass and values yeah. results in what is known as a moral injury uh, okay. Another great example would be our immediate, hasty, unthought-out withdrawal from Afghanistan that happened a couple years ago. There are a lot of us, <clears throat> and a lot of Americans in general, but most, most of, most importantly, those of us that may have gone to Afghanistan, right? Mm -hmm. um, that are all asking ourselves and struggling with the question: What was the point? Um, that results in moral injury. So, um, here's the problem with moral injury. If you were trying to diagnose a moral injury, it would meet all the diagnostic criteria of post-traumatic stress guilty. disorder. That's yeah. what I would literally going to ask. Would you liken this to that? So, um, the complicated thing that's happening, and so, so we're part of a, of a, a nonprofit coalition that is known as the Moral Compass Federation. It is a whole bunch of veteran-based focused nonprofits that do everything from uh, they helped a lot of the organizations literally were boots on the ground civilians. They're now veterans, right? That were moving like Afghanistan interpreters and their families out of Afghanistan. Like we're talking chartering planes in, sneaking them through sewers and tunnels, like real deal stuff. If anyone wants to know any about that, look up like a uh, task force, pineapple OAR foundation, uh, which is operation ally refuge. Look up, um, <clears throat> moral compass federation, G get involved on that side. You, you're going to get all the information you need on it. But so, so if it looks like post-traumatic stress disorder and you don't have a diagnosis and you're a clinician, right? So you're at the VA, you're a clinician at the VA, and someone is presenting all of those symptoms, you're going to give them the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, what is the treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder? 
well, mostly it is known as what they call exposure therapies. People I'm sure have heard of EMDR, accelerated resolution therapy, things like that, right? Now here's the problem, that exposure therapy, while I wouldn't say highly effective, but effective for processing trauma in that way, it actually exacerbates the issue in moral injury because it's forcing you to relive something. That's uh. what exposure therapy is. Now here's the, the further problem. Quite often, moral injury is attached to, it's, it is comorbid, co-occurring with post-traumatic stress disorder. So you've got veterans, and this, this is the data we're seeing, this is why we're seeing the suicidality that we're seeing, which we'll talk about that in a second, but you, you have this, you have a veteran, the veteran goes to a PTSD program with one of these modalities, let's say for 30, 60, 90 days at a VA hospital, and they go through these treatments and they're there and they're there with camaraderie again, you know, with other veterans who are in the same thing. They're doing the peer thing as well. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and during that time where they're in a safe space and they have all the support and structure and family kind of again, you know, that that brotherhood and sisterhood, uh, then they get out. And while the trauma may or may not have been really you got down to the core issues, maybe you've really processed it and you're good the moral injury persists, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So it is similar to any trauma. So grief and trauma are, are usually co-occurring. You can have grief without trauma, but you can't have trauma without grief. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? It's got both. Yeah. And you have to treat grief before you can treat the trauma, right? Okay. I mean, this is standard stuff that still doesn't happen, but if you go to school, like, this is what would be taught, right? Yeah. So, um, what we're seeing is, is there are so many veterans who have gone to these programs. We've literally thrown billions of dollars at this type of programming just within the VA hospital system. Um, everything from the prevention side to the actual treatment side, right? Um, and yet, why are we seeing so many veteran suicides? Mm -hmm. Why is this persisting? If, if we're giving individuals so much access to treatment and prevention measures and all this other stuff why do we see the numbers continue to persist and and do you want to go into the numbers thing oh Please yeah do. absolutely yeah, we, share with we, us we want to receive all the information yeah. we can okay so um if i was to ask you guys uh, what you thought the number of veteran suicides a day was what number would you give me like an actual oh, number gosh. of people yeah. i wouldn't even i wouldn't even have a scope of okay so the, the number that has kind of persisted around for a while is the number 22. There's a lot of organizations, uh, nonprofit and for-profit, and programs and such that uh, that utilize that number, like Mission 22, amazing organization, 22 Too Many, right? These are all nonprofits that, that their kind of focus is towards veteran suicidality. Now that you say that, I remember there was a push-up thing that was, it was 22 push-ups. 22 push-up challenge, yep, right? I remember that. And that was specifically about that. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's, that's kind of been the number that I would say like this, our community latched onto, right? Yeah. Uh, that number came from the VA. The VA every year does a, essentially like a suicide report, right? And um, I, I, you know, I'm a big nerd. I, I like data. I, I think, Data and facts are very important because I want to have informed opinions as well as as a leader being able to make decisions as informed as I can. Um, so I actually read the report. I do not recommend this. It is like this thick. <laughs> it is mm. crazy. It's hefty. Um, but what you'll find in it off the bat, as you would any type of like peer reviewed research articles, 
is it will tell you where they know their gaps in data are, mm -hmm. right? And I'm, I'm going to continue on for a second, but this is going to loop back to what I just said. For sure. So uh, that 22-a-day number hasn't been the case from the VA for, let's just call it five years. The number this past year from the VA of veteran suicides a day is 16.8. Mm. 17, right? 17. So, but technically, 16.8 is their number. So, there was a study that was done last year by a really amazing veteran organization known as America's Warrior Partnership. And what they did was they got with Duke University and, uh, and University of Alabama, mm -hmm. uh, no slouches when it comes to Athletics, research, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, two powerhouses, right? Yeah. Um, got, you know, got a bunch of money together uh, and grants and stuff, you know, and between those two universities, you know, you're, you're talking some real robust, intelligent undergrad and grad students as well yeah. as professors and PIs that go along with that. Um, and so they started digging in. The very first thing that they essentially did was they start going through these, let's just call them death certificates, right? So going through death certificates. And what they immediately found was there was a lot of veterans that just didn't have like the veteran box checked. Mm. So the VA recognizes that, I mean, basically in the report, they say like they don't have the manpower and they don't do that to check that stuff, right? That's what the point of this research was. So that shot the numbers up very quickly. While this was happening, and this is, I cannot stress how vital this is, especially to us as a recovery community, but then into the sub-community of like warriors in recovery. So they, while they were researching this, they found all of these cases that were listed as accidental overdoses. Veterans that were listed as accidental overdoses. Hmm. Now, it is important to note that the VA itself, uh, for the past almost decade, has recognized and acknowledged publicly that the veteran overdose data is that veterans are twice as likely to die of an accidental overdose than the general U.S. population. Wow. Okay. There is a lot of sub stuff in there. Like, for instance, uh, it's, higher, it's highest in males, and it's highest in males who have recently been to a VA hospital for treatment. Mm. Why is that? Wow. Oh, my gosh. Now, th this is their own reports and conclusions, just so we're clear here. Right? Yeah. So he, so they're doing this, this investigation into these supposed accidental overdoses. And what they, they start doing is they start bringing on some more students to really investigate us. So <laughs> how do you determine if, a, if an overdose is accidental or not? I mean, that takes interviewing, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you imagine? Yeah. You yeah. got to talk to families. You got to talk to people. You got to talk to the first responders who are at the scene, right? Because if, if all you're seeing is a final death certificate thing by a medical examiner, that, that does not account for what happened in this right. area, right? So uh, they went in and took the initiative to do that type of stuff, and they quickly learned that there were many of these accidental overdoses that were not accidental, they were intentional overdoses. One thing you can get as a veteran is drugs, <laughs> whether that's legal or illegal. The VA is more than willing to get it for you and we're trained to improvise, adapt, overcome, so we can hit the streets and figure it out too, hmm. right? Which is the contributing factor to that twice as likely uh, statistic. So when they redid their numbers, they came out with a new figure and that figure was 44 veterans a day are dying by suicide. My 
Now, let's just try to be pragmatic about it. Let's say that that's too inflated for whatever reason. Cut it down the middle and use a medium. That's 30. 30. 33, too, to be honest. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're in that range. So. Still um, a lot. <laughs> it's still a ton, man. Well, I, I think we can all agree that one is too many. Yep. One is too many. These course. are people, and these are people with families. I mean, I, yeah. we don't know that they all have families, but we can assume that some of these people could have right. families. But, you know, but, they but have lineage. That's the thing about suicide in general is yeah. that it, it's never just affecting the one person. It's Absolutely affecting not. everybody around them. That, it affects them more, typically. You know, that person's, you know, obviously you never want to take away they've lost their life, but they're not here anymore. Usually the people that have to deal with the repercussions are the people that are still here. Absolutely. You know, so, like, yeah. it is a hard thing. You know, I've, I've had friend, I've had a friend that, you know, he took his life and I was able to see the impact it had on his family's life and it was massive yeah and he was not someone that was super close to his family by any means but that impact is huge once you're gone dude yeah. it's it's there's nothing like even, it. even the attempts i had a friend oh, in yeah. middle school who attempted and it mm -hmm. was like a whole thing and you know uh, uh, i never really talk about this story because i'm not necessarily proud of how i handled it but i was in middle school i was a little kid i really didn't understand what that meant but i remember i took it as a joke and i remember i talked to my mom about it and immediately she went like oh this is not a joking manner. We got to figure this out, and we got him the help that he needed. But the point is is that it, exactly what we're saying is that it, it really affects everybody around uh, around you, really. Cause it does. Um, <clears throat> at the same way that uh, substance misuse affects everyone around you. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, and that spiders out from there as well. Um, you know, I happen to be uh, – my pathway of recovery is an abstinence-based 12-step pathway – Really, I only kind of put that hat on uh, when I'm in one of my meetings. Yeah. Outside of that, I am a multiple pathways guy. I'm a harm reductionist. Mm -hmm. This is and what we're talking about right now. And when it comes to suicidality, and the reason why I gave you those numbers and and the correlations there is because of the fact that th this is why it's a big deal. The harm reduction community now has a tool from the federal government and federal government data to link actual use and substance misuse to suicidality and other mental health in a way that they've never had before. So I presented this data. I was one of the speakers at the Florida Harm Reduction Collaborative uh, um, Collective uh, Conference. Was it yesterday or Tuesday? Oh, awesome. Um, so I, I shared this data and I spoke about that, and that, that's, that was kind of the, the linchpin and what I was getting at with this data was I understand that veterans were an intimidating population. First responders, emergency responders, intimidating population. Um, but there are a lot of misconceptions about it, yeah. right? Um, one of those misconceptions being that uh, on the veteran side, like, oh, you just go to the VA and you get care. That is not true. Hmm. Not true whatsoever. Um, do not get me wrong. There have been a lot of uh, – there's been a lot of progress in allowing access to care for veterans. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but – in a general way, so there's a thing called service-connected disability, right? So it's think of it like Social Security disability, but like through the VA. Yeah. I, I have 100% disability through the VA, right? So I get a paycheck for that. Also, being at 100%, it gives me all sorts of extra benefits like being able to get veterans' home loans and dental care through the VA and st stuff you wouldn't get if you had 99%, right? Um, <clears throat> so uh, typically... Uh, you know, I've, I've different issues, back issues, the mental health stuff, like all of those are, are multiple percentages that go into that total. 
And actually, the truth is, is if you added up my percentages, I have like 130% disability, right? <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really messed up. <laughs> but we do recover, so let, uh, let's be clear about that. Yes, absolutely. Um, but so let's say, like, for instance, so I have uh, 10% on this knee and 10% on this knee, you know, uh, jumping out of planes, falling down mountains, you know, carrying, you know, 100 pounds on your back from yeah. running with it for miles, you know, yeah. just normal wear and tear, uh, most especially in the infantry. But so point is, is, so let's say that that's my disabilities, right? Let's say I got 30 percent disability and it's my knees. If I had bro- if I broke my arm and I went to the VA to go get treated for that, like, hey, I need you to set this, you know, and all the, the procedures that, that go along with that cast and whatnot, um, the VA would send me a bill for that because it's not your knee. Not my name. Ah, interesting. But once you get, and I'm I'm being general here. There's obviously always caveats and such, but this yeah. is f- factual in the generality. Once you hit seventy percent disability, you now have full health care coverage from the VA minus dental. You have to get to hundred to be able to get dental. Mm. Okay, so that seventy percent can be any mixture of things, or it could just be like, hey, you got hundred percent disability for PTSD, right? Doesn't make a difference. So we work to always try to get veterans up to 70% because we want veterans to get the health care that they earned and should be given to them as a right. Absolutely. I don't, again, I don't care what your discharge status is. I don't care how long you served or any of that. I think that that is a fundamental right that veterans have earned and should be given, plain Absolutely. and simple. So we fight on that side to get veterans up to that disability percentage. So... They, you, you can't just go to the VA and get service. How do you do that? How do you get them to 70 It's a very, very long process. Yeah. Um, that has been one of the problems over the past 20 years with the VA uh, and just trying to get them to, to process the claims in an efficient time manner. Um, <clears throat> there is the issue of things that the VA will recognize as what they call service-connected or not. You also have to have evidence that that is the case. Do, does the VA try its best not to help in situations? Yes. Okay. Yes. So That's kind of what it sounds yes. like happening. It's that, like, yeah. well, actually, you did great, but this day you didn't brush your teeth kind of thing. Like, it seems like it's that kind of situation. It's the type of situation. <laughs> so so this is where it really falls into the warrior professions. Like, this, there, there's all this stigma around asking for help, right? right? Because we're not trained yes. to ask for help. We are trained to be the help. Yeah, do it. We are trained to suck it up, embrace the suck, right? All things you'll hear in the warrior professions, right? Yep. And for us to ask for help would would separate us at least perceived, because the stigma is both real and perceived, right? But that if I was to do this, I am now the weak link on the team. Uh, you know, cops, for instance, they could get put on a desk, take your badge away, that type of stuff. You know, if, if especially like if you're in the infantry, let's say, right? Uh, you know, do I want to go into this room not knowing what's inside there and clear this room with guys who could potentially be shooting at me? Yeah. You know, with a guy who maybe is, you know, suffering from depression or something, right? Like that, Those are both real and perceived things, right? So the point being is, is we're not trained to ask for help. There are a lot of people who work through injuries constantly inside the military as well as the first responder professions because they don't want to get sat down. They don't want to lose their promotion abilities. That's real stuff, right? So 
you know, if you don't speak up and go to the hospital or what we call sick call, which is kind of like I'm going to see a nurse to get checked out first, right? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> if you don't do that, you have not created evidence inside your military record that the VA goes, oh, yeah, that happened while you're in service. So you have to document everything. Yeah, yeah if you don't have the documentation of that, wow. you can't produce evidence. Because remember, the name of this is service-connected disability. You have to prove basically beyond a reasonable doubt that you had an injury or some type of mental health correlation, right, if it's on the mental health side, that is directly connected to your service when you were in service. Mm -hmm. And that is the process that's very difficult. Just last year, November last year, we do a training. We, we've done it here. That's what I was saying uh, earlier when we were talking. Cube, last time it. I was here was like a, over a year ago when we were doing our Walking with Warriors training. Um, and I play a video from the secretary of the VA who states unequivocally that the VA is not designed at this time to be a veteran's best advocate. And that mm. in using his words, I'm I'm only barely paraphrasing here. Uh, anyone that wants to look it up can can look it up. Uh, it's a Military Times interview with Leo Shane that it is typically a veteran caregiver, family member or a journalist that has to basically fight against the VA to bring it to their attention for them to spur into action and to make a change. Furthermore, the VA is historically not the type of of response organization that changes its own internal policies in any effective manner. That is done by the Congress of the United States and the president signing those bills into law. So let's talk about some of the tools that veterans have right now. On January 17th of this year, there was an expansion for mental health care access. Specifically, this, this act called the Compact Act was mm -hmm put in place and signed into law um, so that it would expand access for veterans who have who are experiencing some type of suicidal crisis mm. now that doesn't mean I attempted something that you have ideations as they call them or a plan literally if you wake up in the morning and, and any veteran here I'm gonna look right at the camera any of you that may wake up in the morning and say you know I wish I didn't wake up this morning you go to sleep and think I hope I don't wake up tomorrow that Years help out there for that, and yeah. a lot of us feel that way, okay? Yeah. So that is also included in the ability to quickly get someone to a non-VA healthcare facility, and the VA will pay for it. Yeah. The only caveat being that it cannot be someone who is dishonorably discharged. So this expansion allowed people who have what are known as other than honorable discharges access to the care. That type of discharge would not qualify for VA services prior to that. Okay. So they'll pay for everything from, you know, like a, a 30, 60, 90 day treatment center because it does go up to 90 days plus transportation. And the law at least states that the VA must, if they were had an other than honorable discharge, that they must put the veteran through a process and support the process to have their discharge upgraded so that they would then be able to qualify for VA services continuously in the future, hmm. right? To create more continuity of care. So if you have those types of issues and you're a veteran or you're a family member, a friend of a veteran that is showing those types of signs, number one, ask them if they feel that way. Mm. The hardest question you're ever going to ask anyone, especially someone that you care about, is are you thinking about killing yourself? Yeah. And that is a vital question that needs to be asked. 
Uh, we have partners uh, at um, with, between assist training, which is what I'm trained in, uh, and, and we are attempting to actually get certified to be able to do train-the-trainer type stuff. But we have partners in an organization called the Firewatch, which is part of the governor's um, initiative to combat veteran suicidality in the state of Florida. Um, and they train organizations and individuals, create veteran safe places. Um, I, I'm hoping to have a follow-up conversation soon with Susan when she gets back. We want to get those trainers here and make you guys a veteran safe place. Because what better place for a veteran oh, to come ask for help? Number one, amazing. you guys are a Project Rebirth affiliate. You have a Project Rebirth program. But we do this. This is what we do as a daily job, right? Yeah. Yeah. What better place to go to? You know, than a place that understands the services and can connect you like right now in that moment. And that's right? what it's all about. Like you said, understanding the services, the awareness, you know, having that awareness yeah. to be able to tell people and inform them correctly. And that's mm -hmm. what you could bring to us. And then because we have that mission in ourselves to help people recover and help people better themselves, then obviously we're going to want to just push that message along for people that are struggling with these issues. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what South Florida Wellness Network has always been so good at, you know, in, in all these different areas. Again, you know, whether it's adult, family, youth, justice involved, uh, whether it's uh, the co-response model that John's, you know, uh, worked so hard on and, and made those partnerships with like Brad Sheriff's office. If he's a beast. Right. Uh, no, I love John. <laughs> he's uh, a beast, dude. I, I saw him at, uh, at the conference and, and we hugged it out for a while. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I mean, like, the, but the, but those types of things that you guys specifically at South Florida Wellness Network, uh, we look up to, we, we, we share that information. You guys share it with us. We've brought that to Miami Recovery Project. We've created co-response models down there. We're doing the same thing in Orlando, um, which... I want to divert for a second. I want to talk about uh, what we're doing at our new headquarters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. So our new headquarters is in Orlando, Florida. Uh, we have partnered with a hotel and an organization, which is now a new affiliate known as State of Hope. So we're all co-located in this 145-room, five-story hotel, and we have converted it into an all-veteran housing complex. Wow. That's awesome. So it it's, full, it's fully... There are a few legacy civilian families that are still living there. Um, we had the hotel inspected by our, like Orlando Housing Authority, so we accept what are known as HUDVASH vouchers, which is essentially a veteran Section 8 voucher. Right. We also have a transitional living program that is based off the same principles that we utilize under FAR uh, Sober Living. We call it transitional because we do have veterans who come uh, and do not identify as having any type of substance misuse issue. Uh, their issues and their pathway of recovery is lying in the mental health realm solely. Um, so we utilize transitional living in that portion. Those are shared rooms. Uh, but we have about 64 veterans on site between the transitional living and then what we call level three, which is fully independent living. Now, the fully independent living, again, it could be a HUDVASH voucher, so that Section 8 voucher. They could be using what they call SSVF, mm -hmm. which is a program that can do rapid rehousing vouchers. So they're utilizing those vouchers or um, a shallow subsidy program, which is like after you do a rapid rehousing, you may qualify for that. So you still kind of have um, a supportive income where they're taking some of the payments, but you've gotten to the level underneath this housing first model, right? Um, that uh, you've, you've gotten a job or we've gotten you certain benefits where you have some type of income, whether it's fixed or not. And, um, and you're kind of progressing along that pathway of recovery. Uh, the big thing that we're going to launch uh I, I can talk about it, but I need to make it clear. It's not going to start until probably next month. We're, we're 
pretty on track. We're good to go, but we will have the first in the country warrior peer respite. Awesome. Wow. So between so cool. fellowship, who that's where I started working in RCOs in 2015. Um, yeah, I've known fellowship for a long yeah, time. I, I'm, I'm an alumni <laughs> of, of fellowship myself. Um, I was their director of veteran services uh, from like, the thing is like 2015 to 2017. And I went back into emergency management for a while, got out. And that's how I came back to the RCO world. But, um, but between fellowships, respite, and then uh, who was actually, this is where our very first affiliate, uh, Will Atkinson was the first executive director to believe in me and Project Rebirth. And he said immediately, he's, he's uh, executive director of, of Recovery Epicenter Foundation, which is Tampa Bay region, Clearwater specifically. Um, they have what is known as the catcher's mitt, which is their peer respite over in Clearwater. So we are also working on creating like a network between the three of us. So, you know, you've got Broward, South Florida with fellowship. You got us in Orlando and then Tampa Bay region. Um, we will have beds always available for veterans or first responders or their family members um, that are always available underneath the respite model. And we're we're That's using great. private funding instead of like working with DCF or something like that, because we find constantly, especially with veterans, um, you know, having just a two week acute care model where it's like, hey, in two weeks, like your funding's up and, and you got to go or, you know, we, we try and get everyone in that two weeks. Let's give them all of these services to get them to their next level or wherever they're trying to go. But especially like with the VA, for instance, you know, doing this job, you learn very quickly that bureaucracy and paperwork yeah. is the is the biggest struggle that we have, yeah. right? 100%. So, yeah. you know, there are veterans who need a couple, like three extra days or an extra week, right? So by being able to actually just pay for an entire year of rooms, certain set of rooms that allows us to have a lot of flexibility. How do you guys do that? How do you do that privately? Who, so, who funds this? I'll give I'm you curious. a for instance. So uh, Will Atkinson in Recovery Epicenter partnered up with Baycare, which, you know, we think about like Broward Health, right? Um, partnered up with a healthcare system that provides them funding and then a couple other organizations that also provide side funding. We have partnered with a couple nonprofits as well as, I, I can't say names. Until, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, of things are, Just support are all over the place. But exactly. So it, it's coming more from, let's, let's call it donations, but some of these things are contractual. So it's, it, we, we do have a steady fund happening. So again, the real structure of the thing is the, the block of rooms is already paid for for an entire year. So the hotel that, that is you know, acting as like the landlord for all of this stuff is already paid off, they're good to go, and then we are providing supportive services. We provide the wraparound services, and most importantly, this is what Rebirth does and we do in our training and such uh, for all of our RCOs and, and their peer specialists is teach you guys what these systems of care are, how to navigate them. We tell you what the issues are gonna be and then how to navigate those, mm. right? And then most importantly, giving you guys the understanding that with more more than anyone else the veteran population needs a peer specialist to act also as a care coordinator mm. because if you go get into the VA system all of these different sections which there's like at least a couple dozen of them in any given VA hospital they don't communicate with each other they're siloed from each other right they don't talk across the hall to each other because they're very busy doing what they do 
So you can get lost inside that very, very quickly. So having a peer specialist who's walking this pathway of recovery and saying, hey, did you get that appointment? When's that appointment? Let's ensure you got, you know, transpo so you can actually get over there. But then more importantly, like, hey, so you have appointments with two different sections and this nonprofit and they don't seem to be communicating, you know, having the ROIs in to be able to talk to everyone and then bringing them together as a care coordination team. Right. So that there's a continuity of care and and making sure that everyone's talking to each other is the one thing that veterans don't get with any other organization. That is what RCOs specialize in and peer specialists at RCOs. You know, most people that interact with peer specialists, especially veterans, they interact with them like at the VA or on a multidisciplinary team out here. <clears throat> you know, we're essentially case managers and care coordinators yeah. because we are the team. Right. That is what we do. I mean, obviously, our technical term is recovery, resource, benefit, navigation. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, acronym for that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, that is what we need in the veteran community, especially because no one else out there does it. Everyone else is referral resources. There's no real follow up. Um, and then most importantly, uh, I, I, I call this out all the time as national director. It's one of my big things to call this out. There are a lot of veteran organizations out there. There's over 50,000, uh, according to the IRS, or like veteran-focused mm-hmm. nonprofits. How do you navigate who's who in that? Mm-hmm. How do you know this is a legitimate organization? Mm-hmm. And then if they are a legitimate organization, how do you know you're going to get timely care with this organization? And I'm just going to be real. This is going to be very controversial, but uh, I say it all the time. I'm going to say it. Yeah. Uh, not everyone is built to do peer support. Mm. Absolutely. And just because you're a veteran doesn't qualify you to actually give peer support. Yeah. At base, you have a rapport. Secondary to that, and this is my message to all veterans, if you want to do this thing, right, if you want to be an advocate for your fellow veterans, come talk to us, come talk to South Florida Wellness Network and such, and come get some training on how to do so. Yeah. Come learn what it is that we do and most importantly, get certified because the other problem that we see, and this is why Rebirth exists in the manner that it does, is certified peer specialists are bound by ethics boards, you know, like the Florida Certification Board, as well as the fact that we can actually provide HIPAA protection, 30 CFR, 32, 38, all that stuff, right? You don't get that with other organizations. People will tell you all the time, oh, yeah, if you talk to us, we're confidential. Under what laws? Mm. But who said that? You're just saying that because it's kind of like, yeah, like you're, well, it's not that they're trying to get the information. I I don't think that they're doing this maliciously. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is we're talking about very sensitive information, right? And anyone could essentially subpoena you at any moment. They could get that information, all that type of stuff. And if you're not trained and supervised by people that tell you how to do that or have the legal protection as someone who is a certified peer specialist, as a veteran, you need to ask those questions. Hey, do you have a clinical director? Who's supervising you? Is this a case? Because people say case management. Oh, I'm a case manager. Like, okay. Like, so are you actually a case manager? Are you being supervised? Like, like, because if you're not getting certain funding, you're not necessarily held to that. Like, that's kind of a catch-all term. And so we're seeing a lot of problems within our community in that delivery of services, in continuity of care, in protection of the information that needs to be protected so that everyone is safe when yeah. they are asking for help. Because people are constantly asking out for help. They 
you know, get a voicemail. They're not getting emails answered, right? And and it doesn't matter if you're a veteran or not. Human beings, most especially as people in recovery, I'm sure you identify with this. When we go to ask for help, it is pain-driven. Yeah. You have a golden window of opportunity, most especially in the warrior profession, who has all those barriers and stigmas we talked about before. It's got to be so bad that you are now motivated to do something about it. Or someone grabbed you by the neck and was like, hey, you're getting some help. That type of thing. And that window of opportunity, pain subsides quickly. Doesn't mean that the problem's solved, right? Because I know in in my pathway recovery and times I've relapsed, so on and so forth, right? Like, I can't tell you how many times I was like, well, I don't want to go back to, you know, this 12-step program because I'm going to be embarrassed. Despite the fact that I'm living in my car— I ate garbage the other day. This is true. You know, this is a real, my real experience. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, so I kind of like waited out for a couple days. Maybe I detox a little bit. It's like, eh, it's not that bad. Well, it is that bad. It's just I'm not feeling the intense amount of pain mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally in that given moment. Mm-hmm. And when people are not connected to care quickly and what they're asking for, right, instead of being you know, this is how you're going to do it. When they don't get that option and they don't get that option linked up quickly, I think that, again, this is why we're seeing the suicides we're seeing. This yeah. is why we're seeing the overdoses we're seeing. And that, again, for the veteran and first responder community and beyond. Uh, just uh, a couple days ago, four, I believe it's L.A. County sheriffs, four L.A. County sheriffs in the same week killed themselves. Wow. Right? Like, this is happening through... The firefighter professions all over the place. Marion County, I was just spending time with them a couple uh, a couple week ago, two weeks ago, something like that. Um, by the way, their brass, their chiefs, their peer support team is amazing. Nice. They are fully in on this thing. But, but they had, I think, three or four suicides in like a year period, like wow. back to back to back, that that motivated them to, to get on board with this stuff. So, yeah. Um, that those are the types of things that we're facing in our communities that need to be fixed because. Um, have you guys ever heard of a term called the silver tsunami before? No, I don't think so. It kind of came about during the pandemic because what we saw was the baby boomer generation. So silver being like their hair. Yeah, right? got it, got <laughs> okay. it. So um, it, we saw a high rate of it, of that generation becoming homeless. Right? So the homeless care system is is still overburdened by individuals who uh, became homeless and so let's let's just call it a 60 and up right that generation you know needs more medical care physical medical care right and more resources so so where you would have someone that's maybe 20s 30s 40s that's unhoused as opposed to this individual that's unhoused like it's a much bigger burden on the system so that's not going to stop. They're going to continue to get older. They're going to continue to fall into that type of thing, right? So they call that the silver tsunami. So we have utilized a term that we call the camo tsunami, which is because we have drawn down the major combat operations and, you know, it being the month and day that we're at right now, we should recognize that who knows what's going to happen in the world today uh, with the types of, of issues going on in, you know, the Near East. But... Um, you know, major combat operations have been drawn down. We're not in Iraq and Afghanistan primarily. I mean, there are people over there as well as like Africa and such. But that being said, there's a lot of individuals getting out. Right. Uh, and this is know. within like the last couple of years, the last year. Well, yeah, most especially since Afghanistan. Yeah. Right. 
Um, <clears throat> so uh, across the U.S., there's almost 19 million veterans, like just under that, according to the latest census when we did it 2021. That's the most accurate data we've got. Um, there is, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this number, but not too bad. I believe Broward County has upwards of 67,000 veterans inside mm. of Justice County. Now Miami-Dade County has like 62. You have more veterans here than we have in Miami-Dade County. And we're like twice mm. the size at least. Mm. Right. Mm. So the point being is you got all these veterans coming out of service, whether that's on their own choice or not. And they are all going to be dealing with this transition process, the need for care, the unique stuff, right? The, the unique barriers and challenges. And if we are not prepared now and not putting things in place now to mitigate those problems, because we're not going to solve this, right? But mm. if we don't take the action now, in a couple years, you're going to see 60 people dying a day. Yeah. Right? Things that are preventable. Services that are supposedly supposed to be available, right? And if we don't all come together as organizations to be able to address those issues by having honest conversations like what we've done here today about what the real problems are, you know, and how we can work together to, again, prevent and mitigate that type of stuff. And then most importantly, how to actually respond, right, in those situations, we are going, it will be on us as failures. Because we have every ability to do that now. Mm -hmm. And I love that South Florida Wellness Network and eight, 17 other uh, RCOs across this nation have come together to say, We're, we want to be part of Project Rebirth. We believe in what you're saying. We want to take your training. We want to we be part of that process in this coalition, mm -hmm. which has now made us the largest network of certified peer specialists for veterans and emergency responders in the nation. Nice. We have awesome. over 180 certified peer specialists through our network. There is no reason why any veteran, family member, or emergency responder cannot reach out to us and we can't directly connect you to an RCO affiliate or not, right? Um, or a peer specialist that knows how to appropriately respond to these situations and guide you through the care processes mm. and get you where you're trying to go these days. There is no other organization out there doing that. I have, that is a fact. No one does what we do. Uh, we're very unique. And RCOs are very unique. Yeah. So I hope more people get to learn more about For this. Sure. Absolutely. To kind of start closing off, um, mm -hmm. I know I know we're uh, running on time, but at the same time, I just I just want to make sure we get the most out of this episode. Absolutely. Possible. Yeah. Uh, what can we? So we've talked about a lot of things that places like South Florida Wellness can support. You know, oh, but what can people who are not involved in peer support, people who maybe are family members or have friends or just people in the community who just care, they just don't have these trainings and resources, mm -hmm. what can they do? What can we do to support veterans here and wherever we live? There, I mean, there's always a, a myriad of ways you can do that. Uh, you know, What's the best way you would say? Give us money. <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. Give them money. <laughs> give give legitimate veteran and emergency responder nonprofits money. And before you just immediately do so, call them and talk to them and find out what they're really doing. It is not hard to make a real good-looking website and Instagram these days. Do oh, not be yeah. fooled. Not at all. Do oh, not yeah. be fooled. I mean, I've just – a lot of, of – directors that I work with in our partner organizations and, and our affiliates and stuff, we know who 
who's who and who is not, yeah. right? Um, so give give all of us a call. Uh, and, and I'm going to be honest with the camera right now. You don't have to give me money. You can call us, and we'll tell you who to give the money to. Yeah. In fact, that is what we specialize in. That's what RCOs do, right? Like What we do is we find all the subject matter experts and all these other things, and we just coordinate you getting to those places. Yeah. I would rather see those organizations get more money than me, honestly, because yeah. we run light. So if not money, uh, another suggestion would be you can jump online and maybe you guys can even throw this as like a link inside the YouTube channel. Absolutely, and such. Yeah. So there is an organization known as Psych Armor that has a video that is 15 things veterans want you to know. Mm. Right. And it will dispel a lot of misconceptions. That was going to be my question. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that's an e and it's like a I want to say it's like a 15 minute long video, right? Something like that. Um, so it's just you know call it 15 minutes out of your day, and um, and do that uh, do that this month. It's Veterans Month overall, um, but it will it'll show you uh, what it is we'd like you to know about us. Um, I'm going to give a tip to my my fellow veterans out there. Uh, Again, this is not my opinion, but this is what a lot of veterans have told me over the past, you know, 15 years. And that is, honestly, when people thank us for our service, it makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. Right? It, And I'm not saying don't do it. So this is the tip for you as a veteran. Your response, when someone says thank you for your service, the response is easy. Thank you for your support. That mm. right there, not knowing what to say in that makes a lot of veterans uncomfortable because they're not sure what to say back to that. Yeah. Furthermore, there's a portion of like an appreciation. There is an appreciation that someone actually said that to us, but it's also there's like a, a, a dialectic there in that like that you don't even know what you're thanking me for. And and the truth is, how could you? Yeah. I mean, there would be, you know. It just becomes like a routine thing that people yeah. do. So it becomes not, it doesn't feel as valuable when people say it to you because it's just you're saying it because people make you say it or this it's like true. it's said because people say it exactly know? right um you don't really care like you're saying you know well it certainly doesn't hold the weight you know like yeah i, I remember i'm old enough like I, I was a freshman in college at ucf go knights charge on yep. um <laughs> when 9 11 happened and my roommates woke me up and all that stuff and that is part of like my whole journey as being a veteran but you know, back then, there were, everyone was tying yellow ribbons on their trees, and everyone's got the magnets on their cars and all that type of stuff, and that's all well and good. Um, but really, if you want to support veterans, uh, we would love it if you'd put your money where your mouth is, yeah. or if you come and volunteer at some of our events with different organizations, uh, or even if you just share videos like this that talk about these issues, just doing a reshare, repost about you know, what veterans are going through and how you can help us is equally as good as any of those other things. Yeah. And also, being respectful if you're going to sit with a veteran and asking questions, don't ask us things like, well, did you ever kill someone before? Yeah. And it seems mm -hmm. like a, like a, like a, well, no-brainer, right? Yeah. And it happens all the time. Like, so, you know, people start getting a little comfortable. Like, so did you ever kill anyone? Like, It's kind of crazy how people that. are like that. We, we had a conversation about that last week talking about bullying. And it's it, and one of our conversations was how how hard, how people don't realize that they're not reading the room correctly. Like, they don't yeah. know when things should not be said. And I, I find that crazy. That's why we wanted to ask, like, what should we not go over? What should we not talk about? Because yeah. we understand it's it's such a traumatic thing to go through, you know, war serving your country different things like that so like to have people come in and poke and joke about it is absolutely 
disrespectful. Well, I don't think it's, I don't think I've really experienced much on like uh, poking and joking, though. Sure, there's like an element to it because let's be real. Veterans, one of our coping methods, emergency responders too, is we have extremely sadistic dark humor. That yeah. is a way to process stuff, right? Is that from like a level of desensitivity from things that you've been through? or In, in a way. I mean, the, the ability to make light of a horrible situation. Yeah. Um, is a way to sort of process it because it gives us the space to actually talk about it, even if it's not in like a, a trauma processing way. Right. We are yeah. processing it, and you're doing it in a safe environment because you're with your other peers and that type of stuff, which is also why we can seem intimidating because, you know, depending on how your algorithm is on social media mm -hmm. any given day, the things you get shown about. Like the super bro vets, which I dress like one. I got my boots and my <laughs> operator hat on and all that type of stuff. The only thing I'm missing is I'm not sleeved up. Yeah, like yeah you're missing the, 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 I'm missing the tattoo. All the, yeah, yeah, I'm missing yeah. the sleeves, um, which I'm always jealous of their stuff, but I just, I'm too old for that. <laughs> um, but seriously, uh, overall, um, we do appreciate it when you say that. Just understand that when you say that, you most likely are probably making that person uncomfortable. And if you're a veteran, again, that feels that way. Thank you for your support. There's your response, right? Um, but I want to say thank you so much for. for I have one more question, on. and then we're gonna get out of here. Okay, cool. Okay, one more question. Um, what is the biggest misconception? I know you you said that already briefly. What is the biggest misconception that you that people that you run into when it comes to um, veteran support? Veteran support. When you think of people thinking about how they could better help veterans and or support veterans what's the biggest misconception you typically run into you know I, i'm not sure i mean i think we we touched on it a little bit with some of the misconceptions um yeah again like you know i think the biggest misconception is i used the word before dialectic right dialectic essentially meaning that you know, two seemingly opposing truths that are opposite, right? Yeah. Uh, but they're both true. Yeah. So that dialectic being that, well, veterans have the VA to go get taken care of. But most people know the VA is majorly scandal-ridden, and, and, like, there's, you know, in Phoenix, these people died on a waiting list, a secret waiting list, and all that type of stuff, right? So usually that the biggest misconception is, like, there's a lot of organizations out there that are helping veterans, and then they have the VA, so they're good. Ah, uh, okay. So that okay. is not true. <laughs> the misconception is that they have more than enough help, and that's not true at all. Exactly right. Gotcha. Uh, we we especially in the 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 warrior nonprofit sector are really experiencing a problem, which is also why I said give money. Uh, there is donor fatigue right now. Uh, you know, again, the major combat operations are over. We did this for 20 years. People gave a lot of their time and money and such and resources to help out veterans. And there are a lot of other things happening in the world today. Plus, social media makes it real easy for us to be distracted by all those. Go donate your money to a Twitch like, streamer, again, which is crazy. This yeah. camo tsunami is coming, right? And And we need donors and volunteers that will continue to support us through this time because who knows what it's going to look like, you know, in, in five to ten years. We, mm -hmm. So we need help on that side. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for watching, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for being here, man. You have no idea how much this means to us. And um, uh, overall, I just want to uh, let everybody know who's watching or listening, wherever you're at, um, um, even though you said it does make you guys uncomfortable, a lot of the people... <laughs> 
we really are appreciative mm-hmm. and um and we want to the only way we can really think of showing support is by telling you hey i don't mean to be weird but thank you for what you've done for this country so um i'll say it and i know it makes some of you uncomfortable and i apologize for that but i i truly mean it we a lot of us are really appreciative because it, it we and, and when it comes to my perspective, I'm appreciative because I understand that it's not easy. I understand the toll it takes. And moreover, I understand that in in a way, you guys suffer more from it than gain. So so I I that's why I'm even though I never come up to a veteran and tell them, oh, thank you for your service. I, I always try to be very uh, thankful to any people that I know in my personal lives because I mean it. it it's 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 real and i understand there's a lot of things that you kind of the unsung hero sometimes you know and it's like Mm -hmm. and it really so to just for this special that we want to close it by saying thank you everybody who has served uh, any person in the first responders teams who who have even given their lives you know in this service you know and as we kind of celebrate you guys this weekend and you gals we want to really really make sure that we also understand how can we support you so thank you all for listening. Thank you all so much for watching. Remember, you can catch us on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Please support Project Rebirth. And moreover, please support our podcast by liking and sharing and commenting and pressing that notification bell so you get notified yeah. every single time we post and what was, a video. Um, what was the thing that you wanted us to leave in the description below so we can leave uh, resources for them? Yeah, so Psych Armor, 15 Things Veterans Want You to Know, I believe is the yeah. title of the. It's a free training platform. They can give you a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and if you want to know anything more, come, come visit Project yeah, Rebirth. Yeah, give us your resources. Uh, mm-hmm. www.projectrebirth.us, as in the United States. Uh, we're all over Instagram, always uh, at underscore Project Rebirth underscore. Give us some likes and follows. Give us some shares. And uh, if you're looking for help, contact us contact south florida wellness network because we do recover awesome we got all the links in the description thank you so much for watching thank you guys stay well